Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. Thank you, band. That was fantastic. And our new band member, thank you very much. Glad you were there (laughs) once a year. All right, we love it. We love it. Well, not only do we have someone new um, in the band, but we also have some new folks here. And uh, just like we celebrated all the beautiful decorations that our team did a few weeks ago, we lo- we're still loving the beautiful Advent decorations. As you were pulling up this morning, I'm sure you noticed some touch-ups, some cleanup outside. As soon as you came out of the car and you smelled it, then I know you knew about all the touch-up and smell. We have a group of guys here, an awesome group of guys, took time away from their family, their friends, their church, big old Southern Baptist Church in Jacksonville, drove all the way down here just to love on us and serve us and to clean up. We have been so focused on the community for these last eight or nine or ten weeks. They came just to love on us. So, so guys, where are you sitting? I know you're probably spread out a little bit. Yeah, they're kind of all over. Oh, you're right together. All right. So, so find these guys afterwards. Give them a big old hug. Say thank you. We appreciate you guys. God bless you. Thank you for loving the Lord and and loving on us. We appreciate it. But we are still very much in the middle of the Advent season, that season of anticipation, excited anticipation for the birth of Christ. We get to, we get to celebrate that, that awesome day, not just one day a year on Jesus' birthday, but really for an entire month, four Sundays leading up to us. This is a big deal for us. We love to celebrate Advent and Christmas and the birth of Christ, and we all, we all celebrate differently, right? In fact, let me, let me read a list of words to you. This is a little test. See how awake and in tune you are to what's going on around us. As I read this list of words, I want you to tell me what you think these words have to do with each other. Y'all ready? Here's the game. I'm going to read the list. You see what you think. Number one word is candles. Number two word is a good German word, Gemütlichkeit. Oh, yeah, you know what that is, right? Uh, Number three is trumpets. Number four is firecrackers. Number five is parades. And number six is a a devilish-looking monster named a Krampus. So that's the list. Those are the words. What do you think that all has to do with each other? Celebrations. Celebrations, good, of what? Christmas, exactly right, from all over the world. Now, I'm kind of a more of a hot chocolate, maybe some eggnog, sitting around the fire, singing some carols, chatting with the family kind of a guy at Christmas. But some folks celebrate Christmas with firecrackers and with parades and with scary monster masks named Krampus. That's over in Austria. Of course, Santa Claus comes for the good children. Krampus, the devil, comes for the bad children. Might not be such a bad idea, but... <laughs> but, but so all over the world, all over the country, even here in Cape Coral, from house to house, we're going to celebrate different, uh, Christmas differently. Your traditions may or may not be my traditions. My traditions might not be yours. And that's that's okay. We've decided that's okay. We celebrate differently. But, but there's a difference between our traditions and our focus. We've been talking about our focus all week, all these weeks long, and we'll continue even next week. What is your focus during the Advent season? Is it that which God has placed before it? Are we to focus on Christ and his birth and the, the change that made not only in, in our world and in history, but even in our own lives and the lives of our family, or is it on something else? This week, we're going to talk about a character out of, the, out of the Bible, obviously, but out of the Christmas story in the Bible that had a very different focus. 
Now, he knew what you and I know about Jesus. He understood what, what you and I understand about Jesus. To some extent, he even believed what you and I believe about Jesus, and yet he wanted something very different out of Christmas. Christmas hadn't even come yet, and he already hated it. Christmas hadn't even happened. It wasn't even a thing yet, and he was sure he wanted nothing to do with it. So his, his off focus, his bad focus, his wrong focus is something we're going to talk about today because here's the danger, folks. A lot of times we share his same focus, and that is not at all what God wants. So let's see what we can learn from this guy, often known as a villain, the bad guy of the, Bible, of the uh, Christmas story. Let's see what we can learn from old King Herod, all right? Are you ready? If you have your Bible, you can open up to the book of Matthew, chapter 2. If you have your little phone, you can aim it at the QR code, open up the, uh, the sermon notes, kind of follow along, take notes if, if you want to. You can just watch on the screen behind me. I'm going to talk about King Herod. First of all, the making, you ready for this one? When's the last time you talked about this in church? The making of a murderer. This is, this is Christmas. What are we talking about? Scary stuff and villains and murders. Hold on. It's all part of the story. Look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the, king, the time of King Herod, there he is. Magi, what are magi? The wise guys, wise men, sorry. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? His ears perk up. Wait, what? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship, not you, Herod, but him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, you think? And all Jerusalem with him, I bet they were. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is this Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. You buying that? No. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. The star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped right over the place where the child was born. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they began to worship him, this little baby. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country through another route. That's the story. Probably, probably not a new story for any of us. If you're anything like me, you grew up in church and you heard this story not only from the, from the pulpit on, on Christmas morning, but maybe even on Christmas Eve in your family. You know this story, and yet we so seldom dig into the story of Herod. He's the one we kind of blush over. He's the, kind, he's the one we kind of go past quickly to get to the good stuff, because this is this is the bad stuff, but let's, let's understand that. It's interesting, as I was thinking about Herod and, and reading, doing a little bit of research this week, I discovered that of all the Bible characters in the Bible, Bible characters, guys and gals in the Bible, you know, Peter, Paul, uh, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, all the folks we read about in the Bible, no one even comes close to the amount of 
extra biblical writings like history books and, and stories that are not found in the Bible writing about them. No one even comes close to this guy, Herod. We have tons of background information on this guy. We know all about him, where he came from, how he came into power, and all the terrible things he did. So, so without taking too much time, let me give you a little bit of his backstory so we understand better how he came to the focus he came to because we don't want to get there. Let me, let me give you a little bit. He came to power when he was 25 years old. He was from the area. He was, he was not some, some Roman governor that they sent from Rome to, to rule over the Jews. The Jews were a problem for Rome. They kept having these uprisings and, and thinking they were better than everyone else. And, and Rome just wanted to squash them. But the best thing they could do was to find a local boy, a guy named Herod, who could handle it. He was from there. He had home field advantage. He was only 25, but can you imagine all of the elbows he had used, all of the climbing of the ladder he had incorporated to get there? He was nothing more than a rent-a-cop, but he was exactly what the Romans wanted because he already lived there, and, and, and he had a few early wins in his career. He took over, and when he was 25, the first thing he did was find the head of the revolt, Ezekiel was his name. They captured him, brought him to the city square, and chopped off his head, killed him in front of everyone. This is what happens when you go against Herod. And then he said something politically helpful for him. He found a pretty girl in the family of the wealthiest and most influential Jewish family, the Hasmoneans. He married that girl. I don't doubt she wasn't a pretty girl, but that wasn't the point. She was from the right family with the right power and the right connections, and he married into that family. And then just a few years into his reign, as Rome saw how well he was doing and how he was pulling together the control over these crazy Jews and all of their uprising, they gave him a new name. Not just Herod, not even yet Herod the Great. They gave him the name King of the Jews. Oh, their blood boiled when they heard that. He wasn't a Jew. He didn't even believe the Jewish faith. He never even converted with his new wife and, their, and his new in-laws. Because he had control over them, it was kind of like a poke in the eye to the Jewish people, those he was ruling over. He loved power. He loved titles. He loved positions. He loved being in charge. He loved flashy things, attention, pomp, and circumstance, and he would do anything to get it. He loved big, flashy projects. Again, much of this is in the history books. The, the things he did, some of it's in the Bible. He, he built himself beautiful palaces. He built beautiful big fortresses. The Fortress Masada, maybe you've heard of that one in the history books. He built that one. He built stadiums and, and hippodromes and, and theaters and all kinds of big things. He even built the city of Caesarea. No one could build a port on that, on that, that coastline, but he managed to he found a way to do it because it was big, it was flashy. No one else was doing it. Look at what I did. And then the piece de resistance was the, the rebuilding of the temple of the Jews. I don't believe for a minute he did that because he was getting soft on the Jews. He, he, he's maybe starting to believe a little bit of what they were talking. I don't believe that for a minute. Maybe it was a a brown, they were in some brownie points with his in-laws. Maybe it was to get in good with some of the Jewish leaders so he could knock them over the head later when he needed something. But for whatever reason, he did that because it was big and it was flashy. And everyone saw, not only did he do stuff to get power, he was also willing to, to, to give up anything and to keep, to keep that power. He married men. Are you ready for this? Not one, not two, not three women. He married ten ladies. Ten women, each of those ladies had children, as you can imagine. Most of those ladies had sons. The, the son of a king is named a 
prince, right? So if there's only room for one prince to take over from the king, you can imagine the kind of jockeying for position, the plotting between those boys that took place. The princes from wife number one hated the princes from wife number three. Wife number 10, her boys, they had nothing to lose, so they were out for blood. And this was going on in their family constantly, in his big palace constantly. Here's the deal. To keep his power, he wasn't afraid to use force. And in the face of all of this jockeying and plotting, he killed cousins, he killed uncles. One day he even took the high priest of the Jewish people out for a swim. He drowned him in the water with his own hands. He killed his wife, his favorite wife, the one from the Hasmoneans, and then he killed his mother-in-law. I'm, I'm, I, it's in the story, I got to tell you, that's, that's, that's what he did. I, I, I would never do that. My mother-in-law sit right here front and center. But I know some guys said, I didn't know that was an option. But he, he did. And then, <laughs> and not only that, he killed at least three of his own boys. This guy had no problem taking what he had to take, killing what he did, all because he was so paranoid about losing power. You see where this is going? And then we read in verse 3. Let me read it again. Look at verse 3. When King Herod heard this, this story that there is a new king in town, he had been king for 40 years. That's the last thing he wanted to hear. He was settling down. He was getting ready to kind of hand things off to the, to the chosen prince, whichever one he had chosen, have his authority, his legacy live on for centuries if possible. The last thing he wanted to hear is that there's a new king in town. The Bible says when, the king, when King Herod heard this about the new king, he was disturbed. Oh, I'm sure he was disturbed. In fact, that word in the, in the Bible language, it means to, to boil or to shake uncontrollably. And then the Bible says, and the whole city with them. Oh, I'm sure they did. They had seen how he deals with things that get in his way, that uh, try to usurp his power. Anything that would try to, to stand up in front and get any of the recognition that he thought was due to him, he would take it out by force. And so the whole city was upset. They had just, he had just gotten the city the way he wanted. He had gotten the, the Jewish people to the place where he had them. He had paid dearly to get everything. He had used violence in his own family, murder and death in his own family. Family. It had affected him even physically. The Bible says he had dysteria. He was, he was also shaking from his own illness. And the Bible says, uh, and the historians say, excuse me, that he was almost to the point of insanity because he had, he had gone so over the edge in every relationship he had. He was ready to die and leave this legacy when all of a sudden these strangers show up with this crazy announcement. There's a new king in town. He was the king. No one takes my power. No one takes my authority. I'm in charge. Who does he think he is? What, does, what Herod does next, it may shock some of us, but it's exactly what we should expect from a Herod. He had absolute power over the Jewish people. All of the power, all of the influence, it all belonged to him. He called the shots. The people were not free. Here's the deal. Herod is alive and well today. 
That same powerful evil spirit that drove Herod to do the things that he did 2,000 years ago is still alive and active today, driving your friends, your neighbors, maybe your seatmate to do things that are completely against the will of God. That same evil power continues to enslave people under the power of sin today. Billions and billions of people maybe even someone in this room. But here's the problem. The problem is we love what Herod's power can do for us. They called him Herod the Great because in spite of all the murdering and the intrigue that went on, he got stuff done and it was big and it was flashy. We call that sin great because of how it makes us feel. The truth is sin feels good for a season. Otherwise, it wouldn't be enticing. But all the while, it is killing us, whether it's through addictions, addictions to things like drugs and, and alcohol, or, or even addictions to, to social media or, or shopping or, or success, the things that we are willing to give up in order to get that which we so desire, we long after, we pine after, it is killing us, or we feel trapped in our own pain, trapped in past hurts or, or past abuse or, or things that we are unwilling to give up to God, they continue to, to affect us and, 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 and to build a root of bitterness inside of us. Uh, we become cynical. We, we lose trust in others. We begin saying things like, all men are like this. All women are like that. All bosses are like that. All pastors are like this. All politicians, all, all all, and we've broken all forms of relationship because of past hurts or even the same sin that Herod himself exhibited, the, the sin of self-centeredness. We get overwhelmed with work. We get overwhelmed with family responsibility. We get overwhelmed with life, and we decide we need a little me time, which isn't bad in and of itself, but me time turns into me day, turns into me month, turns into me year, turns into me life. And we've pulled away and our focus is only on ourselves and not at all on the things of God. And those around us who are hurting, those around us who God has placed into our life so that we can pour into them, encourage them, build them up. They go on hurting because we are so focused on ourselves and God is calling us to change that. But then, but then, in the midst of all of these emotions and rage and physical shaking, the Bible says, that was going on in Herod's life, the Bible says some very wise men entered his life. Some very wise men spoke truth into his life. They shared this incredible news that should have, that could have changed his life and the course of history on that day. Can you imagine I mean, literally, can you imagine if this story had gone differently? I mean, what if, what if the, the wise men had come and inherited the end of his life, and maybe he is feeling a little bit of regret for the first time in his life, some remorse, maybe? They come with this truth that there is a real king, and he comes in peace, and he, he wants to give you hope, and, and all the things that you and I know about Jesus and his coming, and he gave his heart to Jesus. Can you imagine how that would have affected history? But he says no. Because he already had a king. And he was looking at him in the mirror. Instead, he was frightened. And the Bible says, and the whole city with him. There was no cheering. There was no celebrating. There was no rejoicing. There was no gift giving. So often we prefer the misery that we know rather than the mystery 
that we do not yet know. The Bible says these city leaders, these Jewish leaders, they knew the prophecy. As soon as he asked, they were ready on the spot with the right answer because they knew the scriptures. The town they were talking about was six miles away. Not one of them said, let me run ahead and find out. Oh, king, we've all, we're on it. We've already been there. We already know where he is because we've been watching the scriptures. We've been watching the stars. We know this. Is, not one of them said that. At least Herod understood that this was going to be a radical change. The religious leaders, they were happy to keep the status quo. Yeah, this is... This is what the Bible has been telling us. Yes, that star is pointing us to the answer to what we've been praying for for centuries. But if we run after this Jesus now, everything's going to change. We've got it all figured out. It runs so smoothly. We've got to head over to the temple twice a month, once a month if we get busy. At the end of the year, if we're feeling especially generous, we can cut a check or at least pull out the, the pocket change in our pocket. We can, we can send up a prayer when we're really in need or when we're feeling super happy about things. But if we go to Jesus, he's going to want us to be all in, and that's going to cost too much. Herod, though, he knew exactly what it meant to go to Jesus. He knew that God was not just offering his people a holiday from the Herod. They were offering him offering them an absolute liberation, complete freedom from their sin. This is what Jesus is offering us today. When he entered the world, when he entered your family, when he enters your life, he is offering you complete freedom from the slavery you have had to sin. Let's think about those, those magi, those wise men for just a minute. What, what was their backstory? You remember they came from the east, the Bible says, far away uh, days, weeks, months of journey to this place. Once they found this place, they had one goal was to get to this baby and to worship him. They had seen the signs in the stars. They were astronomers. They were scientists. They knew how to look at the stars and see what was coming. Astronomers today, as back at that day, they have a law. Here's what the law of astronomy says. That, you know, look at the stars, you look at night, Right? If engaged in a night watch, you might find something. Let me say that again because this is important. This is a law of astronomers, right? You ready? If you are engaged in a night watch, you might find something. Doesn't promise you will. Says you might. If you're not engaged in a night watch, you'll find nothing. Wise men and wise women are still seeking Jesus. They're looking. They're reading. They're here. They're in Bible studies. They're opening up God's word at home and talking about it with family and friends and others. They are still seeking. These guys were seeking that. Here's the deal, folks. Are you seeking Jesus? Have you found Jesus? I don't mean have you found a church family? Have you found a bunch of nice Christian folk that get together on Sunday and have a nice time and hour and 15 minutes later you're allowed to head on home and get on with your week? I'm talking about really finding Jesus. I mean being all in with Jesus, believing, giving him your life, being, letting him be your Lord and your Savior following him in, in, in believer's baptism, going public with your faith, uh, daily repenting of your sins, 
offering sacrificial obedience, doing the right thing even when it hurts, living with open-handed generosity, and growing to become, not yet there, but growing to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. This is why Jesus came. Jesus did not come to build nice buildings. Jesus did not come to to gather nice, friendly folks for a nice Sunday morning celebration with some donuts at the end. Jesus came to make fully devoted followers of Christ. That is the goal. If anything short of that goal is not enough. Folks, hear me now at the end of this year. In the middle of Christmas season, there is no better time to make this clear. If you have been attending or or visiting or listening in with one ear, this is the time. Today is the day to make that decision. Jesus is calling you to be all in with all this entails. And then the story takes a very dark turn. In Matthew chapter 2, I wish we could stop where we stop now. It's already bad enough up to this point. The, the shenanigans and the, and the plotting and the, and the evil destruction that this guy Herod has already laid on us is already more than enough, but it gets even darker. This is where the story gets hard. But based on all that we know about Herod, all that we've seen in the past 40 years of his reign, this really shouldn't surprise us at all. This is a desperate act of pure evil, what's about to come. The savagery, it takes our breath away. And we are left wondering, why? Why does a story like this, what we're about to read, why is it in the Bible at all? And why is it in the Christmas story of the Bible at all? Christmas is about joy and happiness and little babies in a manger. Why this? Look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. You thought the... uh, The disturbed shaking was bad. This is disturbed shaking on steroids. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. How are we to reconcile that story in the story of Christmas? The beautiful carols that we sing, the beautiful decorations that we adorn our houses and our churches with, the gifts that we give, the the, the fun that we have, the singing that we do. How in the world does this story fit with our Christmas? Herod, let me explain a little bit. Herod was at the end of his life. We already talked about him being sick being even shaking. He had sores probably all over his body by now from the hysteria he was suffering. Senility had already begun to creep in, if not, if not full-blown insanity by this point. He was just a few years from his death. In fact, he was, uh, let me just tell you one story that happened just, just at the end of his life after this, uh, again, out of the history books. At the end of his life, he was at his winter palace in Jericho, and, uh, and he knew he was going to die. And a sudden epiphany hit him one night. Not, not like, oh boy, I've been a terrible person. I need to repent and I have remorse and shame and sorrow. No, nothing like that. That's, that would be a great story, but that's not the story. Instead, he had a, a flash of reality. 
he realized I'm about to die in a day or two or a week or two. And when I die, no one's going to shed a tear. He had already alienated everyone in his family. I say alienated, probably killed and alienated is a more accurate description. I've already alienated anyone who I might have had some kind of relationship with. And the Jews, oh my goodness, the Jews, they're not going to shed a tear. They're going to dance on my grave. So here's what he does. He tells his soldiers to gather all of the Jewish leaders in the city, all of them, and bring them into one of his fancy new stadiums he had just built. Lock them in. And he says, hey, here's what you do. On the day I breathe my last breath, when I die, execute them all. There won't be any tears for me, but on that day there will be tears. And that's close enough. You think a guy like that even bats an eye at killing the children, the babies in Bethlehem to get someone who might usurp his power, might take his power, might somehow shine instead of him? He did it without batting an eye. You betcha he did it. The fact that this story happened is obviously more than bad enough. The fact that this story happened in the Christmas story makes it even worse. It's not just somewhere, it's not just sometime, but it's right here. It's right now in the middle of the Christmas story, in the middle of the Advent time. And here's the deal. Folks, there will always be blood. There will always be pain and suffering, especially, especially here when Jesus is entering the world. Folks, we are at war. There is a battle raging all around us in the, in the heavenly realms. There can be no freedom from the oppression of sin without the shedding of blood. The enemy will not give up without a fight. Let me give you one quick sidebar on this. We're living in very dark times ourselves. Many of us struggle with all of the calamities, natural and, and human-made and otherwise. And we say, Lord, how can this be? How can the enemy be winning? Make no mistake. He will not win. We've read the end of the story, and the good guy wins. But just like the blood of the innocent children had to be shed at Christ's entrance into the world, innocent blood has to be shed when Jesus enters your heart or my heart. Victory over sin and death must be paid in blood. This same Jesus that was born as a defenseless baby in a manger would one day lay down his life on a cross to pay the ransom for your sins and for mine to set us free. So, my friends, I ask you the question again. What is your focus? This Advent season, as we think about all that's going on, all the things that are pulling us in so many directions, it is so easy to, to give a pat answer and to move on. And before we know it, we're into June, and we haven't thought about this again. But please stop. In just a minute, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, a perfect opportunity to just stop and to allow God to speak back to you where you're at. Because too many of us, I believe are looking not for the savior of the world that would come and radically change everything in our lives, giving rid of our, our, our slavery to sin. Many of us are looking more for a genie in a bottle, a winning lotto ticket, or one of those Generac generators that pops on demand just when we need it, but stays turned off the rest of the time. That is not the kind of God God is interested in being. 
Jesus wants you to be all in, and he promises you that when you say yes to him, he is all in for you. What is your focus? Let's pray. Father God, you are an incredible God that has moved so powerfully in history, so incredibly in our own history, that we don't even know how to put the pieces together without your spirit leading us and guiding us. So Father, at this time, we ask you to do exactly that. That which is that which is hard for us to understand, God, give us wisdom. That which is hard for us to accept, God, give us grace. That which is hard for us to follow, God, give us your power. God, today is a day that we all say yes to you. God, we're through riding the fence and listening in with one ear and being drugged along by a spouse or our parents. Today is a day that we step out in faith and say, yes, Jesus, I am all in. This Christmas, this Advent is not only the celebration of your birth, Jesus, it's a celebration of my birth as a believer. My eternity starts today. I pray for you, my friends, those especially that are wrestling with that decision, that you would be bold enough to make that decision today before you leave this place. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.